Welcome to the KMOX Home Improvement Show. Sponsored by Reinhold Flooring. Now, Scott Mosby on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. All right, Home Improvement, Scott Mosby, KMOX. We have lunchtime, the center of the country, center of the dial, 1120 KMOX, 50,000 watts. Uh, Feels like 50,000 degrees. Uh, Wait till tomorrow if you think it's hot today. Here she comes. Uh, And all the way Sunday through Thursday, Scott Jagel just mentioned, it's going to be some pretty warm temperatures. Uh, So I urge you to kind of, might be a good time to uh, take care of business. Uh, I do have a couple of callers from the last hour that were hanging on, and I can talk about some of those topics as far as materials that are stored. Uh, Anita called. She didn't want to be on the air. Uh, she's asking about the materials and solvents and such that she stores in her garage when it gets very warm, like furniture polish, uh, maybe lighter fluid gasoline, uh, things like that, that, uh, you know, you have a lawnmower, you have a snow blower, you have a leaf blower, whatever, we're transitioning to the electric. We still have gasoline-powered things and tools. Uh, likewise, uh, if you have paint thinner, uh, first off, Anita, thank Thank you for asking this question. It's valid. Uh, it's more valid. Uh, generally, I'm going to uh, put on uh, my uh, fire department hat. I'm not a firefighter, not trained as one. However, being involved in the building codes and designing to those safety uh, objectives, I would ask that any um, solvent type materials. I, I know it sounds silly, but you know, even down to the you know Ronson all uh, lighter fluid uh, that your um, uh, any gasoline or paint thinner solvents, uh, furniture cleaner things like that. Ideally, would be at least in a metal cabinet uh, in the garage uh, or inside the house. You keep it inside the house, but a lot of those things are volatile uh, chemicals, so it's nice to keep it outside. I typically keep mine outside the house in a container away from the home. So, um, you know, I'm a lawn guy, uh, so my gas cans and such I keep outside the house. I keep it away. If anything were to happen and it would catch on fire, I keep it away from foliage and things like that. So the point, Anita, is a good question. Uh, at least in the garage, if in the garage, in a metal cabinet. And those are a little bit hard to find, but some of those old metal storage cabinets are still around. Uh, they are, but you can buy them and such. But for example, uh, for us in a business, uh, if we keep a solvent or gasoline for a uh, generator or a uh, power washer, whatever it is, uh, we keep it in a, a metal can. Uh, because metal doesn't burn. And so we we try to have as many of those containers in metal cans. So likewise, you, uh, and I know your question is, how reliable are they? Well, they can melt. You get to uh, 100 degrees, and keep in mind, materials do not have the same susceptibility to humidity. So where Scott Jagal is reporting that 101 degrees tomorrow could feel like 110, well, that's a perspiring uh, human. But, you know, your um, furniture polish doesn't care. To it, you know, the furniture polish is still 101 degrees. What happens at 100 degrees or 105? Because you're, then you get sunshine on that metal garage door, and your garage can actually easily be 120, 125 degrees in the direct sun, uh, you know, just like the heat in your attic. So those um, 
furniture polish uh, in a wax form, for example, paste wax, paste wax will start to melt. It'll get liquid and it'll, you know, seek its own level just like a liquid would. So keep in mind what you keep and where, and uh, you have to read the label on each one to see whether it, it, it degrades under temperatures. But furniture polish, things like that, I would bring a few in because they're small containers. There's not a lot of uh, uh, flammable stuff in them. Uh, But a lighter fluid, gasoline, white gas, uh, furniture strip or anything like that, I would keep uh, and, and do typically keep outside of my garage. I do, you know, for like two cycle mixing oil, I'll leave that in the garage. It doesn't, you know, burst into flames on its own. Uh, So just be aware. Good question, Anita. Thank you very much. Uh, But things that when we get above eh, 95 degrees, you you know, it's a a little bit uh, um, uh, interesting. So as it degrades, you might want to bring those small things inside the uh, house. It's important. Uh, 314-436-7900. Puts us together here. Uh, My name is Scott Mosby. I own Mosby Building Arts, Design Build Business. We're uh, based in Kirkwood, Missouri. If you can hear my voice, we serve your area. Uh, I got into a little bit to the design build. Uh, As it relates to our industry in construction and home building, um, the publicly traded home builders in the United States are reporting strong businesses uh, and strong sales because, uh, and interest rates are very high. Well, how can that be? When interest rates are high, home building drops, remodeling drops because the cost of money. Well, lo and behold, we have been undersupplying the home, the new home market now for 20 years. Uh, and I've watched this because it's been part of most of my adult life for 20 years. Uh, National Spo- Association of Home Builders says we need a million six, 1.6 million home, new homes built every year just to handle what is uh, falling apart. You know, our, our buildings age, they crumble, you know, everything has a lifespan. Plus the population changes and the ages of the population changes. So the type of home necessary. Anyway, the point being, we need a million six. On the average for the last 20 years, we've been building about a million homes a year, sometimes seven, 800,000, sometimes a million, two, million, three. So we are grotesquely undersupplied in replacing our building and you know my family business is remodeling we typically don't build custom homes or we used to we come from custom homes but the interesting thing is we're just recycling homes we just take your existing home and make it last for another generation or two or three and in some neighborhoods where the value is so high be mostly because of great public schools and neighborhoods that you know the the value of remodeling those uh, is very high because your return on investment will last for 40, 50 years as opposed to just the, you know, cost of that uh, upgraded building improvement. Uh, So we have undersupplied housing um, and uh, the workforce is aging uh, no matter what we're getting into. So there are fewer of everybody. And so the home builders are busy uh, selling homes. We're still buying uh, the boomers are still retiring, so we're still moving around, finding the place we want our home. And so it, it keeps on trucking. Remodeling remains strong because we are a counterforce. Basically, when you and I are sitting on 2 and 3% mortgages, 
well, I'm not moving. I don't want to sell that house. If I, if, if I move, I lose that 3% mortgage and I buy a new one at 7% or 6.5. Wowzer, that's a whole different house payment. I think I'm just going to stay put and remodel my kitchen. You know, so that's kind of what supports the home remodeling business. Anyway, we've got that and more. Uh, Stay tuned. Uh, When we get up to 1 o'clock here later in the day here, we've got your retirement professionals coming up at 1 o'clock right here on KMOX. 2 o'clock, the business of family business. Today, later on this afternoon, uh, 520 pregame show, Cards versus the Mets, right here on KMOX. Stay tuned. When I come back, we're going to talk about all kinds of fun things. 314-436-7900. Scott Mosby, Home Improvement, KMOX. I'll be right back. All right, back together, Home Improvement, Scott Mosby, KMOX. We are in the second hour, 1220 of the lunch hour here on KMOX, 50,000 watts. Phone lines open, 314-436-7900, 314-436-7900. Uh, next up, let's talk to Keith. Hey, Keith, good afternoon. Welcome to KMOX. How can I help? Yeah, thank you for your service. I got a question that kind of went along with the last question from that lady about paint and stuff being out in the garage. I've got, like, paint and a stripper and stuff like that. that, How do I get rid of this stuff? I don't want to just throw it in a landfill, but how do I, you know, get rid of old paint and stripper and varnish and stuff like that? Well, you're not alone. Uh, Typically, most city halls, a lot of the uh, municipalities will do a hazardous waste uh, thing. Typically, your fire district will be the one to contact. Uh, But for the most part, um, uh, you know, how to do that? Uh, Well, what kind of things do you have? For example, you know, at Mosby, for us, we get a lot of paint, and it may be flammable, and it's got solvents in it, but there's not enough of it, or it's too old, or whatever. We generally... Uh, the way we dispose of it is we'll take it out to a dumpster full of of material and we'll dump the paint over all that stuff, leave the lid open and let it dry. So that's how we ease because if we give it to the fire department, they're going to have to come up with a way to incinerate it. So sometimes low tech is the best way. So when you you know, take paint, you paint it on the siding and it dries. It's the same VOC, the off-gassing that happens when it cures. So Somebody uh, somebody told me to... You can use, uh, like, take kitty litter and then mix it in with the kitty litter and stick it outside, let it dry out, and then dispose of the kitty litter. I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah. It's um, the um, kitty litter, um, oil dry, things like that. It Basically, that's the dumpster. So all you're I doing see, yeah, is... Yeah, that sounds like it. Yeah, I mean, we have a dumpster and we have all this stuff around, so we just try to keep the stuff off of us. We dump it out on that. But the kitty litter and the oil dry, you mix it up with that, you can lay it out on a piece of cardboard or plywood or whatever, and it does the same thing. It just dries into a big sludge clump. But you have to kind of paste that out kind of thin because if you leave it in can form, you know, like the shape or volume of a basketball, the inside will never dry. So you need so to get I'll it run it over to, to your there. dumpster Monday, all right? I'll tell you what, you're welcome. It it sounds really weird, but we've been through all of this and we have we have a crew of about 7 to 10 painters and we've debated this for years and the best thing we've come up with is, you know what, rather than let that hazardous flammable stuff, even latex paint that, you know, isn't even a fire threat, how do you get rid of well, we dump it on and let the stuff dry out and it goes back into the form and, you know, away it goes. So Oh. I guess I could give it to a graffiti artist. 
<laughs> well, we'd rather not. I, one man's <laughs> art may not be another man's art. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> hey, thanks, thanks a lot. Appreciate Roger it. that. Um, okay. Thanks, Keith. Good question. Uh, again, for those of you that are disposing of things, um, e- even uh, um, uh, paints, solvents, and thinners, if you can put it in a place that is not a fire threat, and it sounds silly, but uh, you know, generally, we will put latex paint on the dumpster uh, or we'll mix down the paint, but we don't really dispose of solvents that way so turpentines gasolines things like that uh, sometimes I will put them in a can metal can away from the house and let them evaporate and they kind of dry off and evaporate that way that's one way to dispose of it you have to be very careful because you know somebody comes by smoking a cigarette and they don't know that they're next to a can and at 100 degrees now or 90 degrees outside you know the volatility or the gaseous form you could have an enormous gasoline cloud around this can so you have to be very careful when you're doing this but uh, the easiest way to dispose discard of this stuff is to uh, contact your fire department or fire district oftentimes your city hall they may not know the answer right away but at least you're asking in the right direction because (laughs) if you do it right the fire department uh, doesn't have to save your life and put your house out if you do it wrong it's a bit of an issue and likewise once or twice a year you will find around sometimes city a ball wind will do a hazardous waste thing it's like shred day you know like the better business bureau we hold shred days where we go to somebody's parking lot and a lot of our members that are shredding surfaces show up and we shred valuable financial information you don't want the bad guys id theft all that stuff so for solvents uh, likewise the same thing um and it's it's problematic because it's hard to get rid of stuff and oftentimes there's a charge that goes with those fuels so that's why we tend to dispose and discard of our uh, old drywall mud we'll dump it on a dumpster uh anyway so that's one of the things um let's get uh see what's happening here let's talk to frank hey frank good afternoon welcome to cam wax how can i help good morning thanks for taking my call yes sir. Uh, my question has to do with electricity uh-huh. Uh, our power goes out every once in a while, and I have an old generator. And uh, in order to put our refrigerator on it, I have to take it, slide it out of a cabinet, and our cabinets, our refrigerators, all enclosed. And yeah. I have to put down a big piece of plywood on the floor to save the final <laughs> floor. Yeah. And it's really a hassle. So this last time, I took and on the on the plug for the refrigerator. Yeah. It's a double plug. I put an extension cord in there, and I run it up over on top of the refrigerator, and I coil it. There's just, just enough room. I coil it up, and I'm going to leave it there. And the next time power goes out, I'm going to start the generator and plug it into that extension cord going to the same plug as the refrigerator. Now, what happens if I forget to turn the breaker off going to the refrigerator before i do that well there's what's called a power transfer switch and uh there are a whole bunch of reasons why that's not a good idea um first off let's start with the lineman who's outside your house that climbs up the telephone pole and they've killed all the juice all the power to that grid on those overhead power lines 
Well, if you plug in your generator into the wall, that will electrify your house. That will backfeed out to those power lines. You can shock the dickens out of that lineman hanging on the pole. I'm exaggerating, but the point is that's why we have these very heavily code-defined um, power transfer switches. So if you have a generator that senses all this, then you've got this power transfer switch that automatically switches it over. So what I would suggest... Um, is that you plug that extension cord to the um, refrigerator itself. So plug the goal being plug the refrigerator directly into the generator extension cord. Do not electrify or power your whole house. Uh, number one, because there's a lot of latent power just running your clocks, uh, running your lights, all of that. Uh, unless you throw the main breaker of your house, which the problem is, you know, you never remember or you're not always, excuse me, there when the power comes back on to go back and turn everything off. That's why these automatic transfer switches are a big deal. But the life you save may be the lineman out climbing on the pole out there, and that's why this is heavily regulated. I, I would run that extension cord up, and I would, frankly, um, make a way that you can plug in or find a new place to plug in that fridge where you put it into the extension cord directly on the um, refrigerator. And I, I did this uh, my mother-in-law's house years ago, and we had all those big uh, ice storms. We had generators that were available, and I took one over, and I plugged it up to her deep freezer, freezer, uh, the refrigerator, and the furnace, because she was on gas furnace, and that kept her house warm. So be, uh, be careful. Do not electrify. Plugging it into the, the electric outlet um, will will be just fine for you, but it, it may not be fine for the lineman outside the house. And if the house then becomes electrified, now you've got power um, sources um, that are unground. It's not good from an electrical engineering standpoint is the summary. How's that? If I trip the breaker going through the refrigerator, refrigerator's on a breaker by itself. Yep. That would prevent that, right? Yes just like throwing the breaker on the whole house. But keep in mind now, you've got, you know, how, how many uh, watts is that generator you're running? Uh, I really or... don't know. It's an eight horse, eight horse, or I think it's about yeah. 600. Yeah, that's a pretty good, yeah, more like 5,000 or so. I mean, that's a lot. That'll run basically your whole house. If you throw your main breaker down in the basement, turn the whole house off, that generator through that one outlet probably would power all your 110 stuff, your lights, at least on that side of the bus bar, if you will. You know what I'm talking about? You've got breakers down one side and breakers down the other side? Yes. When you electrify one of those 110 outlets in the wall, you're only going to do one side of your panel. Well, if, if, if I turn the breaker off going through the refrigerator, then you're okay. It wouldn't, it, it wouldn't go to any other. Correct. Or any other plugs, would it? Correct. It will not. It, it'll go, yeah. It, uh, how old is your house? That's a loaded question. Building 62. Uh, in 62, sometimes those refrigerators were not on isolated electric plugs. So you might have the microwave, the refrigerator, and a few other things in the kitchen. Well, this, 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 this refrigerator is on just that. Uh, that's the only thing on the breaker. We had yeah. converted to... We had the fuse box taken out about five or six years ago, and we have all breakers. Yeah. 
Good. Um, you can Another... break, throw that breaker and do just what you're describing. Um, that is not the textbook right answer for liability reasons. Uh, that is, <laughs> all, that's not what the fire department and the electric utility wants you to do, but it will work. Okay. Another thing, uh, you might want to pass along to everybody that's listening today. We got a thing yesterday from Ameren, you know, UE, uh, telling us they're going to make changes in uh, energy, say conserve, how to conserve energy and everything. Yes. And on the bottom right part of it, uh, it shows to, to whether, whether, whether to, I can't say, uh, weatherization. Yeah. They're... Uh, show somebody caulking a window well they're caulking the bottom frame of the window to the <laughs> sill yeah and uh, i just wonder what's going to happen if they try to open that for a fire or open it for anything else yeah not good yeah that that is a um the fire department will get very excited about that because those windows are all <laughs> supposed to be um fleeable egress when yeah i'm totally with you there yeah, so I, th I thought I might pass that on to you. <laughs> yeah, what? Well, no, I appreciate it. Thank you. That's that's a valid one. Do not the, the message here for all your listeners: don't caulk your windows shut, um, and certainly not the bottom, because you need that window sash to open up to get out in a fire. If you caulk yourself in, and that's one of those building science things. It's you know the tighter you make the building, you're not always making your life better. <laughs> Thanks, Frank. Good point. Okay, thank you. All right, sir. Thank you. Scott Mosby Home Improvement, off and running. Uh, Keith, how do I how do I dispose of paint stripper and solvents? Uh, uh, kitty litter, oil dry, mix it up, let it take it outside, away from flammable areas, whether it's latex or solvent based. Spread it out, let it dry. By the way, uh, cover it up because the cats and the dogs and the critters and the ground squirrels, they don't know any better. They'll run through it and then run right across your driveway and decorate all your driveway with all those new little paint paws so uh, anyway little things unintended consequences uh, and then frank now just uh, can i directly fire up and plug in my refrigerator directly to the generator when we lose power absolutely true that the freezer um, air conditioners <clears throat> you can you can do one window air conditioner because if he's got an eight horse generator that's probably a five or six thousand watt that's like pretty much like four circuits so it's a pretty beefy generator it'll run a lot uh so anyway uh scott mosby home improvement camox i'll be right back for more after this all right home improvement scott mosby camox back together we are live and lively home improvement uh 314-436-7900 314-436-7900 stay tuned about uh 40 minutes from now your retirement professionals at one o'clock two o'clock business of family business and later on today this evening cards versus the mets pregame show here on camox 520 uh let's see what's up with my friend jill hey jill good afternoon how can i help you today hey there hey we had a um hailstorm in our neighborhood and so the west side of my house which is all solid siding um had about eight six to eight individual pieces that had like you know a hole put in them so we've our insurance company will only wants to replace the entire side of the house um, and I mean, the um, siding company, the insurance company does not want to pay for that. And so uh, we do have extra pieces of siding. And I'm just wondering 
is replacing individual pieces of siding an option? Is that something a place would do, or is that even a DIY job we could do? Um, all of the above, yes. Um, there, uh, the lap siding on vinyl uh, hooks and interconnects carefully. Uh, there's what's called a zip tool, Z-I-P tool, zip okay. tool. And it, it looks like kind of an orange peeler looking plastic thing. And you kind yes. of get it up in there and you get it behind and you zip it, you slide it sideways and it unlaps or un, un overlap the, the connection, loosens that up. You get that and then you can pull the nails out uh it's uh surgical so it it it's more skill related than you might think so yes you can do it as a do-it-yourselfer you'd better have a good um sense for brittle vinyl siding versus ply you know because the damage is even with an experienced professional um old vinyl siding is brittle and it breaks like glass so hmm. you have to kind of know when to st- it's like the plumber tightening the nut on your faucet you know a little bit more is better and once you go yeah. past that perfect place you're going but you can break something and and then you're replacing two pieces instead of one and it's like cancer then you chase it all over so the contractor wanting to replace that whole wall that is a better choice if there is some discoloration um for example uh ultraviolet fade Uh, oftentimes we get colors on siding and it's been up for 10 or 20 years and it's just a different color than the new stuff coming out of your garage even Um, yeah then the neighborhood your deed covenants your neighborhood if you have an architectural review board for your neighborhood for outdoors if those rules prohibit um, fade or things like this that that is a regulatory change that now the insurance company has to meet that code and replace the wall. But that's the only real thing that can compel an insurance company um, to uh, repair more than just a few holes in it. You see what I mean? I sure do. And that sounds like something I can easily look into and offer the uh, siding company some extra ammunition to use as they're arguing about this with the insurance company. So I appreciate yeah. that. Okay, good luck. And and frankly, uh, first choice, replace the whole wall, even if you can fix them, because let's pretend you do. Those eight pieces are, you know, part eight of them are going to be shiny and new. And then the rest of the wall, it, it's going to look like somebody just painted eight shiny strips on your wall. So that's yeah. if you can replace them. So again, that's, that's, it does that constitute a loss of value in an ugly wall that now your insurance company has to replace in order to protect the value they've insured. Is that kind of how this all goes? Thank you. That's good information. Okay, good luck. Go get them. Thank you. All right, Jill, take care. And this zip tool, kind of neat. Um, And uh, um, it's not easy. Uh, You you go to uh, like Wholesale Siding advertises on here. I'm sure they'll have zip tools. They'll also have contractors that know how to operate these zip tools, those sorts of things. I've known uh, Julius for many, many years, and uh, he is just exactly as he comes across on the on the ads. You know, are you kidding me? That's Julius. Uh, Anyway, let's go see what's happening with my friend Alice. Hey, Alice, Scott Mosby here. Good afternoon. Welcome to Cam Wax. How can I help? Good afternoon, Scott. Um, I had a siding issue, and I had siding replaced on my house. I live in Maplewood, and my house is 100 years old, and it's a two-story. And when they 
place the siding, they cut my phone line. I've had AT&T out twice to repair it, and they can't fix it. They can fix the first floor, but not the second floor. And they said they cut the wire way up high, and they didn't. He and I were both standing there, both feet. We had both feet on the ground, and he was showing me the wire he had cut. And I was wondering, and I talked to AT&T about it and said, since they can't fix it, uh, could I have somebody else do it? And he said, it's your phone and your house. If you can find somebody else to do it, go ahead. And I was wondering if you would know of anybody that knows, you know, I know Southwestern Bell Telephone. I I, I wish I could find one of their employees. But um, do you know of a company that could come out and help me with that issue? Uh, you're just repairing, putting together a telephone line, and you know where it is, and you can see it. Yes, uh-huh. it's it's like goes in the basement window, but yeah. there's a whole bunch of wires there. But anyway, um, he, when the first AT and T guy came, he cut he cut the wires that were laying on the ground and took them away. Um, yeah. So now I need to have somebody come out, I guess, and re you know splice together the line to put it to my house golly i I will tell you phone lines are very easy to fix Uh, i know (laughs) can you get to them physically yourself yes uh uh-huh oh golly um i would offer that if you hold on to both ends of those wires you're only getting 12 volts or 18 volts there's not enough juice to hurt anything or start a fire so there's no risk for you doing this. Uh, ideally, if you can get a little bit of length on one side of that wire, strip back the outside insulation very carefully. Um, and, you know, typically it can be done with a utility knife. Ideally, it's better done with wire strippers. But even a handyman, electrician, um, knowledgeable neighbor, electronic geek in the neighborhood that likes, you know, work. On, this is pretty low skill, high value value stuff um so you know you'll have two or three wires or maybe five wires and you just have to cook you know the red one goes to the red one the orange goes to the orange one the white one connects to the other end of the white one uh, the yellow one connects to the yellow one that's all you need to do to get those phone lines going uh quickly uh at that point then you know how do you weatherproof it that's the tough part because you know you have to get enough length where you can twist them together you just twist them they're little bitty wire nuts you can put on that and the problem is how do you weatherproof them and if you go to a hardware store or a home center you may be able to find a weatherproof splice for that phone line take digital pictures of it as much as you can so you can go get some professional help in that supply because buying the right connection splice or waterproof thing that's the tough part putting the wires together you and i can do it you know in faster than a cup of lemonade um and don't i have to have something to test which wire it is only the colors oh do you know which wire uh is the cut the broke i mean do you know the right end you know which end of the wire goes to where no no i don't Oh, that's a a big... When he cut that excess wire off, that's what he took with him, the first AT&T guy. Well, that's all dead wire. He would have tested all that. He would have taken care of it. The only thing left should be good wire. Okay. So it's, it's digital. So does that make a difference? Nope. 
This is very low-tech stuff. All it is, this is like doorbell wire. It, there is, if you get it wrong, it just won't work. That's all. You won't, you won't, you'll just get an error call from AT&T saying your line's busy if you get it wrong. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I, I'm kind of confused since AT&T can't fix their own line. It kind of made me wonder. That um, that surprises me. When you get into it and you fully understand it, it does make sense. But I I can I confess I've been in your shoes trying to figure out like why didn't the phone guy fix the phone wire? So I understand. Okay, um, but do you know of any particular company that I would should consider? Uh, you're in Maplewood, golly. I would look around for handymen, uh, neighbors. There might be somebody in your family that understands this stuff enough. Uh, anybody that's good at fixing automobile repairs, you know, uh, you know, like a, a shade tree mechanic would understand all this. It's pretty easy stuff. Okay. Well, um, I thought it would be too, and um, I can't, you know, I was kind of taken aback when AT&T sent two different repairmen over there, and they both said they couldn't fix it. They got yeah. the line for the first floor fixed, but they can't. They said they cut the line for the second floor way up high, and I'm like, no, no. There was one wire they cut. I was standing here. He showed it to me. We all had our feet on the ground, so nobody huh. was up on a ladder where they had cut it. So, yeah. um, do you know anybody uh, that runs <laughs> wires for computers? Did you ever have computer wires or things like that put in in your house? No, I don't have any computers. AT&T wanted to know if I wanted to get their internet and stuff. And I said, you can't fix my phone. Why would I want your internet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Well, my my point is, is uh, all, oftentimes audiovisual guys that put in televisions and television cables for you, those are guys that are very well versed. They can test out the wires and all of that. So, um, you know, like the Geek Squad can do that sort of thing. I don't know that they will if you're not doing whatever but um security system guys do you have a security system in your house at all no it's a dog right. well those are the kind of uh technicians that do that stuff and you could get them out to the house so you could look for uh, security systems and repairs you're welcome to call mosby building arts on mosby we keep a uh, on monday we keep a list of companies like that that can help we could refer you out to somebody Okay, and I'm going to have you guys put some shutters on my house for me. So, oh golly, so call us. What? Just just tell them what you need. I mean, while they're out doing shutters, they can get this done. Maybe we put the shutters in quicker than normal. You know. <laughs> okay, well, Scott, thank you so much for being here to answer our questions. You're welcome. Our guys will figure. They know how to put wires together. I try. I promise. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. All righty, bye bye. Home Improvement, Scott Mosby, KMOX, trying to get St. Louis running again and uh, just noodling through it. Sometimes it takes me. I'm a little thicker than others because I uh, can't see it. So uh, I have to depend on you to be my eyes and ears. Uh, let's take a short pause and come back for more on University of KMOX right here in St. Louis Mo. This is the KMOX Home Improvement Show. Sponsored by Reinhold Flooring. Now, Scott Mosby on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Okie doke, home improvements. Scott Mosby wrapping up. Stay tuned. One o'clock, your retirement professionals right here on KMOX in about 15 minutes after news, weather, and sports. Two o'clock brings business of family business. Pre-game show, cards versus the Mets right here on KMOX 520 tonight. And stay tuned. More coming all afternoon. Uh, let's see what's cooking with my friend. Let's talk to Bill. Hey, Bill. Scott Mosby here. Happy afternoon. How can I help? 
Uh, hey, I've heard you mention before uh, putting RIDX, even though I don't have a septic tank, I'm on city sewer in your drain lines to kind of eat the sludge. I worked on that plumbing, you know the sludge you're talking about. Yes, sir. I understand how it works in a septic because the sludge is in the bottom. This stuff sinks to the bottom, but in my pipes, aren't I just flushing it right away with the next flush? Yes. Yes, the issue, and that's why I, I advocate you do this at night. The idea is you put it in the sink, you run the sink for five seconds. You really don't want to flush it away. So once you go to bed, that's the time to put this stuff in so that it sits in your pipes because it's just an enzyme. It's just back, It just makes the bacteria happy, and the bacteria will tend to eat the organic waste stuck to the side of your cast iron pipes, your iron pipes, your plastic pipes, whatever they are. So you're exactly right, and you're seeing this all correctly. Okay, so before, like, leaving on vacation would be an even better time? Absolutely. Perfect. Because the less water you you have going through there, and you have to kind of figure out which end of the house you're cleaning, too. So, you know, uh, generally, when I'm ready to go to sleep at night, you know, I'll dump it down a shower. Yeah, and a shower that doesn't get used much isn't going to have a lot of, uh, um, you know, wax buildup from shampoo and bar soap. So you don't really have to worry about that. But anything around the kitchen, the sink, um, even laundry tends to be um, good to clean out. Okay, how much would you put in, like, a bathroom sink? Oh, I do a teaspoon of that stuff. I mix it up like I'm mixing chocolate milk. I mean, I don't even put much thought into it. Just uh, a whole lot, uh, uh, three teaspoons full is not better than one. All you need is some of that stuff in there, and if you have the gook in the pipes, it'll find it and eat it up. Okay, thank you. Okay, thanks. Good question. Thanks for the reminder. Next up, let's see what happens with my friend John. Hey, John, Scott here. I've got a few minutes. How can I help you? Thanks for the reminder. Hey, John, you're on, friend. Don't listen to your radio. Listen to your phone. Yeah, Scott, how are you doing today? Good, sir. How can I help? i got a question and a comment, please. Um, yeah. I'm going to do some click-down uh, click vinyl flooring in my house, and yeah. uh, after I pull the carpet and, and pad up, uh, I know for a fact underneath that flooring uh, – is a old-style, glued-down linoleum vinyl floor. Yes. And so I'm wondering, this, uh, this click-down flooring I'm going to put down is a good quality. It's got a, a cushioned rubber backing on the, on the pieces. Yes, sir. And so I'm wondering, can I just put that down over that uh, linoleum floor? Generally, yes. Generally, yes, oh. because that's likely asbestos underneath there, so you get into a whole bag of worms on that one. Okay. Um, All right. So that, that answers that question. And I have a comment if you want to hear well, it about on, hang the... hang on a minute. Uh, if you have dips or any uh, voids in that, there is kind of like a drywall uh, repair, but there's a floor leveling compound you put down with a trowel like you would drywall mud. So you can fill in some of those dips and dents um, right on top of it because your floor is going to span over it anyway. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that. Yes, sir. And your comment. Okay. And uh, regarding the lady that called about the siding on her home and dealing with the insurance company. Yeah. I'm a longtime insurance adjuster. So, Perfect. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, the way that the, the, the contractual language in the policy reads is that um, it, it, what she's concerned about kind of falls under the concept of matching. Yeah. Uh, and there are no provisions in the insurance contract for matching. Yeah. So the reason that her insurance company and or adjuster is telling her that they're only going to pay to either, A, repair 
the, the damage on the side, or a lot of insurance companies will re- repair to place the entire side, whether it's the gable end or the front or back. Uh, if it's damaged, they, 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 they might well do the whole side, but they're not going to do the whole house right. uh, because there, are, there is no coverage under the insurance policy for that. Uh, and so that's why they don't do that. So um, it has to be covered under the coverages of, under the insurance policy for them to pay for something. So um, it, it comes into play a lot. I've probably handled thousands of claims like this over my career where you have an older vinyl home. Uh, I know she, I think she had wood of some sort, but Hurry vinyl up, homes that have the chalked seconds. up and faded out vinyl that's been on the house for a long time. Yeah. And let's say you have a hailstorm, a wind-driven hailstorm, and let's say it gets the gable end in the front of the house. John, I got to go. I'm out of time. FDI. So thank you. you, Thanks, John. Take care. Scott Mosby, Home Improvement. Talk to you next week. Stay tuned. News, weather, and sports on KMOX.